Flow with the show. Hey, hey, this is Flow with the show. Welcome to episode number seven. We've got a very special one today. This is special for so many reasons. Um, firstly, hello, I am Toronto electronic music vocalist Flo Anastasia, and with me today, a very special guest, Toronto producer, DJ, man of many talents, including pro audio genius, uh, you know, video, photography, uh, an overall amazing guy, Tier Kahoot. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Well, being here, speaking of being here, mm. <laughs> uh, another reason that this show is extra special is because this is our first podcast episode that we're like in person and not on Zoom. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's a nice change. Right? <laughs> like, hello. Um. <laughs> it's always that painting of yeah. the... <laughs> For those of you who are uh, just listening in, um, Tyr and I are in this little kind of cabin up in cottage country. Um, one of the reasons that we're up here is to shoot a music video for Sofa Sound. Oh my gosh, I'm, I had to wear the shirt. Um, <laughs> Sofa Sound is uh, an amazing label out of Bristol and it's our first ever music video for an upcoming track, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, thank you so much for just agreeing to do this podcast episode. By the way, um, you and I have chatted about doing an episode together. Um, this is cool that we were sort of able to make it happen up here, having like all the gear and all the cameras and that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot we can talk about. Um, for those of you who don't know, Tier is one of my closest creative partners. He's my vocal engineer. He does all my vocal recordings. Uh, when I perform, he DJs with me. Um, he is also a, a big instrumental part of actually running this podcast. So um, for all the audio processing and the color correction, touching up all the video footage and stuff, that's actually Mr. Tier Kahoot over here that does that. So uh, hey, how are you? <laughs> Oh, I'm great. <laughs> well, uh, no, I think it's good. It's, it's um, I think, fitting that I'd at least spend some time on the show. I mm-hmm. watch every, uh, every small and big detail of all the other ones. So it's like, why not, uh, why not be actually on here myself? Yeah, absolutely. You'll be processing your own audio. You'll be color correcting. Oh, I look forward <laughs> to doing three cameras. Oh, my gosh. Um, no, it's great. It's, it's it's a good experience, and I think it's a good exercise in, like, getting the chops up as well because, like, you only get better at that stuff if you're actually doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I've learned a lot of uh, techniques for dealing with, like, back and forth on the microphone, like, compensating for that kind of thing. And it's um, maybe it has helped me appreciate how good uh, other stand-up specials are, especially mm. when you watch... Someone with no mic control holding the microphone on stage. It's just any whichever direction. Mm. <laughs> it's just kind of there. May as well not even be there yeah. with how they're <laughs> using the microphone. And the fact that there are so many specials that sound like you couldn't tell where the microphone was if you were to kind of just turn the TV off and just listen to how the sound was. It doesn't change almost at all. And that's that, that type of voodoo. I didn't realize how hard that is. To make a microphone sound the same, no, almost, you know, obviously within reason, but like almost no matter where it is, and to make that seamless is kind of like where we watch uh, Big Up Corridor Crew. We watch their videos on VFX all the time. Yes. And there, there are so many episodes, and I remember when we started, it was probably like in the single digits as far as what episode they're on, but yeah, they're like five million subscribers now. Yeah, something crazy like that, and. They have really shown us, I think, how incredibly difficult it is to make high-level VFX in movies. You sort of think, well, it's it's easy to think, well, it's big Hollywood budgets. Everything's going to be of a certain caliber. You get very uh, numb to high production-level values like that until you try it yourself. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is actually really hard. Mm. It's also one of those things where you, like, don't notice unless it's, like, bad. Yes. Like, bad VFX, bad sound, like, you know, that kind of thing. And then when it's good, like, as you're saying, the sort of, like, the mic control, that's something that I had no concept of, like, even being a thing and, like, compression and, like, dynamic control and that kind of thing until I myself, uh, you know, had my first mic performance. And I'm like, oh, this is... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even the smallest movement will yeah. change, right? Imagine how many, like, a foot or, or more. So, um, 
it's been a really good learning experience working on the the show with you and also to see your breadth of knowledge and experience uh, increase with the guests that you have on the show as well. So I think you deserve a big props for just handling really high level guests with such grace and oh. like keeping it together. As far as I can tell, yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> sure you'll have a different opinion, but um, no, I feel like you've done a great job of making people feel welcome that, you know, you may have this thing of, oh, this is some high level guest. I'm not sure how to deal with this kind of thing. I'm so nervous, but at least as far as I can tell, it, it comes across just very genuine. Like you do kind of have like an eye level conversation with people and that's very hard to do. Thank you. I, I appreciate that a lot. And I mean, you've also helped me learn a lot about just like sort of on the topic of like mic control and that kind of thing. Like I thought I was good at speaking to people and striking up conversation, but the whole like technology aspect and just have hearing you like process the audio from the past episodes and like how many times I like say right or like inhale sharply or like like in my reaction like when in a normal conversation like this isn't something that you would like really necessarily pick up on but like when it's recorded and just it's you know sometimes like after an episode I'll be like oh you know that went great and then we'll go into like editing and I'm like oh this <laughs> so anyways thanks for bearing with me uh folks fine folks who are who have been enjoying the podcast so far and um yeah i just want to thank you again Tier, for being here because you've been uh such a, a pivotal role not only in the podcast but in my whole just like journey with recording drum and bass vocals um you know we've done a lot of creative things together and stuff so i don't even know where to start this conversation like how did you get to be so uh proficient let's say in you know sound and uh for you know i have so many questions for you <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I think this kind of falls in the realm of unanswerable in a nice way because it's kind of like, you know, what what makes you interested in something is almost the same question. Um, hmm. I think that if you spend a lot of time thinking about stuff and doing that stuff that you're then thinking about, I think it's almost inevitable you'll get better at it. At hmm. least I hope so. Um, in for me, I, I think the, the technology aspect of making music, understanding music, understanding sound. Therefore, it, it kind of all falls into itself of, you know, you'll watch concert recaps. Oh, how is that done? Right? Mm. What's what's the technology of the video that they, they work with? And who are the people involved? How do they get started? And how do they network and get into a position where they can even be the guy holding the camera? Mm. Uh, I think that kind of thing, you tend to only see it when it's already, excuse me, when it's already done. Which is to say, it's so there have been so many layers and so many steps that someone has taken to get into a position where they can be the guy holding the camera at the mm -hmm. show that it almost seems unimaginable that how, how who do you talk to to do that kind of there's no job application <laughs> for that. Fair. Um, you're part of what is probably a BTS crew that was contracted out by whatever co events company was. BTS is behind the scenes. Sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll try not to use too much lingo. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> isn't there like a Korean like pop band as well? I don't know. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so not them. I'm not talking about a Korean <laughs> pop band, just, just for clarity. <laughs> um, but yes, they, they've been contracted out uh, to film that. And those people will have probably had their own hiring process of film grads and whoever else was right. in that. But that's not always the same story because it depends on what the event is. It might just be a friend of a friend who, oh yeah, I know that guy shoots video. Why don't I get him to come over? It's never so simple as right. how do I find myself being in the position of do to be the one to do the documenting for an event, either uh, microphones or, or video or both. Um, what I came to find is that the story is so different every single time that mm. it you may as well just find your own path mm. in doing the stuff that you like to do. And it just so happened that you had this sort of inkling to do this show. I was already interested in the, the recording technology aspect of it. I had a, an okay amount of experience with video, but I kind of had to get a little bit further into that. But I guess to backpedal a little bit... Um, I just sort of have to follow where my interests are. And I think in the same way that musicians have to follow whatever genre or style that they want to do, where you'll just make time to research something if you care about it. You know, between the five minutes or 10 minutes on the bus, or if you're just on the bathroom, like, oh, I need something to read. Maybe I'll read a form about 
cameras or I'll read a like mm -hmm. a thread about lenses and stuff. And it's not that one particular thread that I read or that not what that one particular video that I edited or whatever, but it's kind of the summary of all the times that I was trying to solve a problem and didn't know how to solve it. And so you just Google around a thousand times and eventually you'll kind of have some, you know, resolution about how to achieve a particular job, even to something as specific as color grading in, involved knowing what software was even responsible for that. Like what, what, how do you even affect the image of mm -hmm. um, something like that? And so you started on, oh, it's DaVinci Resolve. That's what everyone uses. And then, oh, this is really hard. Uh, okay. So I'm going to have to learn foundationally how to edit video and how to make that all work. And what I started out with, it was a, a concept of that. I wanted the video to look a certain way. But then there was five other problems that I needed to solve to get to the point where I could do that because you need all this extra foundational knowledge about like computers, mm -hmm. about filming and framing and just understanding what makes a good looking video or a bad looking video. So I think even a lot of the time we spent watching VFX breakdowns mm -hmm. and stuff for us to understand like what's good color, what's good movement, what's good motion and stuff on a microscopic level does affect the decisions you make for producing other content in the same way that if you're listening to a really good recording of something, maybe it isn't the sound you're particularly caring about at that particular time, but you might hear little things that the artist does that you really resonate with. Mm -hmm. You carry around that little point, whatever percent uh, of that with you forever, uh, potentially. And I think that would be kind of my answer is that it wasn't one thing. It was just an ongoing interest in the subject of, let's say, documenting technology in general mm -hmm. that really, it didn't ever go away. So I figured, well, the healthiest thing to do is that I know I can do something with this mm -hmm. if I get up to a level that is, I guess, marketable or whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. like up to up to a point where it wouldn't be the thing of like anyone could just do it. Like mm -hmm. It has it's sufficiently far removed from that. I just picked up a camera and I figured that would lead somewhere, whether or not that made me money directly or whatever. I think it's OK to have hobbies and to have mm -hmm. stuff that you're interested in and whether or not, you know, filming and doing all this other stuff makes me money is kind of almost like a non-factor for me because I just think it's cool to investigate the possibilities of what mm -hmm. your skill sets can be. And if you like something and it's not like a destructive habit that you have, mm -hmm. I don't know, you may as well spend some time learning about it. You never know who you'll meet, what you'll do, what gig uh, you have or, or whatever. I think too, it's, it's interesting that you, you point out that like, even like, for example, like getting a gig on like being like a, a film guy, like a concert, a BTS concert. Um, specifically, BTS specifically for a BTS concert? <laughs> yeah. Um, that I, my guess is that because the world changes so quickly in this modern age that like, even if there was a specific strict career path where you had to like go to school and then follow this exact path to get from like point A to point B and to get this kind of job. Maybe that was a thing in the past. And I'm sure, you know, that's obviously still the case for certain jobs. Like, you know, if you want to be a doctor or whatever, but it seems like more and more people are able to bring value into this world in ways that you don't necessarily know how to get to that path. And as you say, like for everybody, that path is different. And I like the, just the feeling of like following an interest and like curiosity, because I feel like I didn't really end up doing too much of that. Or I guess maybe I did, but I feel like I really kind of like suppressed that curiosity of doing things that I'm interested in because I was so like, well, no, I have to go to a good school and I have to get good grades and I have to get a corporate job and I have to work nine to five. And as you know, these are things that I was doing up until very recently. And now I'm kind of in the plunge of like, well, what happens if I actually just, you know, and this is so cheesy to say, but yeah, like follow my heart, follow my passion, knowing that, you know, maybe it won't work out. Maybe I won't make a living from it. Maybe whatever it was, but that whole kind of life is short. You should at least try to do things that you're interested in if you can, if you have that luxury, I guess, is it, it does feel like, you know, um, a bit of a luxury once you've, you know, you're not, you know, luckily like, you know, walking three hours in Africa to get like a bucket of water or whatever. I can think about these things of like following my passion or whatever, but, um, well, let's start somewhere because yeah. hypothetically there is still that hike that you have to do for hmm. anything you want to hmm. do. And I 
promise you I've put my time into riding public transit mm -hmm. to jobs that I didn't want to go to. Yeah. Um, but these are just the things you do. Yeah. Because very rarely are you going to be in a position where stuff is just handed to you. And when it is handed to you, you very rarely know what to do with it. Right. And it is almost always the case that if you've had a hard go at it where it wasn't not going anywhere for you, a total flounder type of thing. Take Quentin Tarantino, for example. Mm. It's not like he just blew up in the Hollywood scene. He made a bunch of stuff that no one cared about for a while until he didn't mm -hmm. with Reservoir Dogs. He finally... Yeah. Stalk that one out. And for anyone who's interested, watch the Joe Rogan episode on it because it's really interesting. Oh, yeah. Quentin was on uh, the Joe Joe Rogan podcast. It was, it was really interesting. I, I had no idea that he was like, uh, that he like worked in a video store like all throughout his 20s and really only just kind of like hit in his 30s, which is really yeah. inspiring for for us when we see like, you know, 18 year olds or like the Billie Eilish's of the world were like, amazing power to you, but like, uh, I'm That's much not, older. Yeah. <laughs> That's not really reality right. for, for most people, right? It, it happens, but you can't bank on that. Right. And the only reason that did happen for Bailey uh, Eilish is because I bet that she was just following her passion first hmm. and creating the art that she wanted to create. Hmm. And because it was so exceptional, mm -hmm. it really worked out for her because people resonated with that in a big way. You just don't know if, if stuff is going to come to you or not. So you can't go into a creative endeavor with that expectation, at least not until you've done it to a point where people really care and you have an audience that follows you around everywhere. But that's mm -hmm. different because that breeds its own complacency right. of, oh, I've guaranteed sales. I'm always going to sell tickets. Right. I'm always going to sell whatever product I have. I'm going to make a return on this. That can make you lazy if you're not hungry right. enough to find the next endeavor. We And we watched a Ben Jordan video about this exact thing. Right. Right. The seven stages of becoming a professional musician, I think, is not unlike a lot of people's journey with being creative people mm -hmm. of, you know, re realizing that the world's a very big place. There is room for you in it, but you've got to earn it. Mm -hmm. And it often isn't clear how many years you're going to have to grind that mm -hmm. out until you finally get a bit of momentum in that direction. That could be five. It could be 10. I don't know. But. Sometimes you do have to give up on stuff if it's really not panning out. You spent 10 yeah. years su trying super hard and you've tried all these different avenues on it. Maybe the market's just not ready for it yet. That thing or this yeah. style of, you know, this genre of creativity that you're in might not be the right thing at this particular time. And that might not even be your fault. It's just people mm -hmm. aren't on that headspace right now. And there's other things that I am undoubtedly sure that someone who is creative enough to find themselves stuck in a rut in one niche, they can't pivot to a different niche and then try more of their inspirations and more of their creativity. It's kind of the, the same thing with recording technology branched to video technology for me is in the same way that I think if, if you're feeling like you're stuck in your particular junction of maybe say you're like an oil painter or something like that, that doesn't mean you can't do other stuff. Like you're right. probably an artistic person and why not try something related but not exactly the same you it's always easier to do a logical jump from a related field than to say well the creative thing isn't good for me i'm just gonna give up on trying to be a professional whatever i think it's healthier to kind of keep following a new lead to keep yourself inspired and to keep yourself under the gun a little bit too right. where you're not just doing stuff you're comfortable with all the time and i think that's i mean that's the essence of what you've been doing recently especially is you know the, essentially what can you do to put yourself in the hot seat mm -hmm. by a few more percent every day and i think that's really paid out for you because i feel like you're in a much better headspace now yeah well i mean like outside of creativity as well and I'm, i must have said this on a previous episode but just this one quote that always really gets me is that whole it's not the strongest to survive, but the most adaptable to change, like in relation to animals, humans, whatever, like businesses, like that's the whole thing, like where you can be doing the same business or, or selling the same product for 40 years and it works out great. And then the market changes, the world changes. And if you're not adapting and learning how to adapt and changing and that kind of thing, then like you are, what was successful last year may no longer actually work out for you. And Boy, life, eh? <laughs> yeah. Things change so rapidly that you can pretty much put that into the category of the only guarantee you have is right. change. And right. good or bad. Yeah. But change is going to happen. And 
it's I, I sort of relate it in it's it's maybe doesn't seem obvious, but I, I think you can draw a really good parallel there to how good games get mm. for consoles where the change is, is coming. And what I mean by that is games that come out when a console first launches, PlayStation 2, for example, they don't know what they're doing with that thing. It, it's such a mysterious black box mm. of code and little chips and processes that do their own particular little job. And the game developers are sitting there beside themselves trying to figure out what the how, how do I write code for this thing? So the games don't feel as good. They mm. don't play as well. They don't. The whole thing just feels very rough and very unpolished. But as the console gets older and older, they've worked with it more and more. They discover all these techniques that they can use to better optimize all of that. And then right around the corner, oh, PS3 is coming. I guess all this knowledge that I've put together over the past five, six, seven years of development is just irrelevant now. Right. I've mastered this console and it's no longer being developed, manufactured, or sold. It's just dead. And that's a very good analogy to how music works or to how business works mm. or to how anything works is that you'll get really super good at your particular niche and then the whole thing is going to get flipped over on its head every five to seven years mm. or so and you're going to have to totally rebuild your tool set. You'll get also super good at get that again and mm. then guess what? Mm. It's, it's a cyclical thing and yeah, change is inevitable and I think you, you said it well. It's the businesses that adapt that aren't necessarily trying to just squeeze every little dollar out of some little mm -hmm. thing that they're trying to do, but rather, how can we be in a market we're not in right now? And maybe it doesn't work out half the time, but mm -hmm. it just has to work out a couple of times mm -hmm. for it to really pay you back. And if you don't overextend yourself and you just say, well, I'm going to be present here. I'm not going to go so hard on this, but I want to try this out. New food category, new something like that. All of a sudden, you're mm -hmm. the new leader in that market because you just you were there at the right place, the right time. Classic story of any business or of any you know person who mm -hmm. happened to talk to the right dude or something like that happened. You were just just ready enough to take that on. You had all these things you had no no idea how to do, but you were the one who was able to say yes in that exact time, and so it just worked out for you because you kind of were collecting the pieces of yourself as you just realize mm -hmm. that, oh my God, this thing is such a huge challenge. I'm going to have to learn how to do, but I'm thank God I was here at this time. And businesses and people who run those probably feel exactly the same way of, oh, I landed this opportunity. I wasn't expecting this to really take off, so we're going to have to scramble and figure out how we're right. going to actually meet the demand here. Right. And sometimes you only meet it about halfway, but it's way better than if you didn't even bother. So yeah, I totally agree. Being adaptable is so important. It seems to me that that kind of mindset is so like from what I know about your your life's journey and that sort of thing like it seems to me that having that mindset it explains a lot of why you have so many different uh skills um just you know you're speaking about like game development and that kind of thing also reminded me that you know you were really into computers for a really long time and you're so self-taught in that kind of realm and then more recently you've been adapting and like creating and learning how to create like digital products and kind of like coding your own freaking plugins and that kind of thing. And that's really inspiring to me because, you know, it's not like you went to school for computer science, but with the right amount of perseverance and time and curiosity and interest, you're, you've been teaching yourself how to do it. And you've, you know, without, I guess, you know, teasing too much of like kind of what's coming. I know that you've been working really hard at that. And so I really, uh, commend you and I just really admire you for for doing that <laughs> thanks man um, that was a true I think Goggins moment I had of just no excuses just get it done figure out how to do it Dave, David Goggins yes oh yeah for for our listeners definitely gotta I, I am personally very inspired by David Goggins so me and Tier talk about uh, him a lot he's very like uh, I try not to swear on this podcast if I if I can avoid it but he's very like you know, somebody, somebody that went through, like, the most tragic, like, hardships in life and then, uh, you know, turned his life around, went from, like, you know, obesity and, like, abuse and that kind of thing to just, like, like Navy SEAL, world record holder for, like, the most pull-ups or something like that in, like, <laughs> 18 hours. And, like, all of his Instagram videos, like, he's he's talking but, like, while running. <laughs> so the videographer is, like, I'm running beside him. But anyway, so super inspiring. And you were saying that uh, the Goggins method kind of inspired you there as well. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. And um, I can't take too much credit 
better for the whole plugin thing. It was made in Max for Live, which is quasi programming. Um, excuse me. Um, it's kind of a visual programming environment where if you want to do a particular um, thing, let's say add two numbers together just to keep it simple, um, you would call upon an adding object. And then you can give it what's called arguments or what are the parameters that you want to modify. So if you have a number, you feed it in one side, and then you whatever number you want to be added into that, you feed it into the other side. So if it's starting with two and you three to three, five will come out the other side. You can expand that out to be a lot of different things. Adding filters, adding knobs, adding whatever entities mm-hmm. you want to exist within there. But as long as you understand what you want to do, Chances are you can just hit N and go search and look for right. whatever module you want. Maybe you don't find what it's called the first time around, but I didn't know to look up ZL to look up lists, but that's how you sort lists is with right. an object called ZL. Beats me, but the um, it, it point is, I'm, sh- I'm sure that there's logical reasons why the modules in there are called what they're called, but you know, dummy me doesn't know that deep level type of understanding stuff. And they use a lot of terminology that's like shared with the programming language C mm-hmm. and Java. And it's just a little alien to me, but that's not a problem. Like I, I knew that there were uh, sound effects that I wanted to be able to do without having to necessarily either buy some other plugin to do it. Um, but I wanted it to feel a little more integrated mm-hmm. with Ableton, so that's kind of what I set out to do because genuinely what I was working on was not available. And where it was, you had to pay mm-hmm. a lot of money to get the hardware to emulate that. Mm-hmm. And then never mind the still the plugin you have to buy after the fact. I don't mm-hmm. want to trash talk any companies in particular, but there, there are definitely companies who are happy to take eight $900 from you to do what I was trying to do for way less than that. And I think out of necessity comes that need to mm. figure out it uh, on your own. Because on, on principle, I don't just I just don't feel good about spending that much money on getting one particular sound effect that I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would help probably other people who had the same thought of, well, the sound effects are out there, the tools are out there, but I wonder if I can do this just at a slightly more accessible right. level and I don't need to be a total wizard to know how to do it. Um, I don't know. Like you just just put on talking heads really loud and then yeah. <laughs> just bashed away on the keyboard until I found uh, what I was looking for over, I don't even know, what, two or three months or something like that. Yeah. of just figuring out how, how do I make a plugin? And that's not something you, you can Google it, but you're not going to get very far because uh, it's kind of like, how do I be in shape? Right. It, it, yeah, there's answers, but you're going to have to find yeah. an approach that works for you. Um, so that's kind of what I did with that. Uh, but yeah, d- digital content creation is kind of my, I guess, my new my new paradigm. Mm-hmm. Now that I feel like I'm comfortable with all these other things that I've been doing for a long time, is it's the comfort that I actively avoid, where mm-hmm. I, I f- don't feel like I'm doing anything anymore if I already have a grasp on all these different things. I mm-hmm. have to be learning about some other subject. And 99 times out of 100, I'll look into something, ah, this is kind of boring, I don't really care about that. And then you just keep skipping along until you find something, oh, okay, well, there's, there's something here, and then you follow that inspiration. And the classic story, I think, of a lot of people who are just curious. Yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah, content creation's been, rewarding and interesting because I'm having to flex a lot of muscles that are very underdeveloped right now with understanding, you know, because I've I've done editing for loops and stuff, but recording that and creating good, readable, usable presets and things of that nature, I'm not so experienced in that. So it's a new skill set that I have to try to develop, but I identified the problem of I don't feel like I get a lot of my money's worth when I use a lot of content packs and right. I can identify what problems I have with those content packs and then I'm just sure to never repeat those. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just kind of, I guess, being aware of the fact that there are probably more than just a couple of people like you in the world that have similar problems to you and how can you do the maximum amount of good and help mm-hmm. people in your position of either mostly just being unable to make that content for themselves or being too time-pressed to do it, which is effectively the same thing. Mm -hmm. And how can I create value for a small amount of money that might save you 100 or more hours of work to try to do? And so, yeah, um, uh, you know, I I won't go too deep into what specifically it is that we're talking about here, but uh, we're going to have an exciting few months for sure. And I really look forward to it.
Yeah, it's, it's interesting with the self-taught thing, too, because I guess, like, prior to this example with, like, the developing that kind of thing, and I do say development because, like, even you're talking about, like, the Max for Live kind of thing, like, all of that is, like, logic, and from what I understand, like, logic is what's behind a lot of, like, coding and computer science and that kind of thing, and I remember you, you kind of expressed to me a couple times as well of, like, you're having to figure out this, like, problem of logic and how to get to work in Max for Live. So I still definitely commend you for that. Um, and so in in advance of kind of this this recent venture, you spent many years getting really good, if I may say so myself, at music production, um, mixing and mastering and, and sound editing and that kind of thing. You've completely changed my whole kind of career trajectory when it comes to vocal recording and editing. Um, and I think it's also really cool that you know, well, there's a couple of things here. One is that, um, from what I remember, like music wasn't your like childhood passion. Like for, for a lot of people, it's like, you know, their earliest memory is like music and like, that's, that's it. They knew what their passion was. And for you, I know that it was, it, it was a little bit later that you were, had that sort of passion sparked. And from what I also remember, you did attend for a while, um, one of those like post-secondary, uh, like in educational institutes for audio engineering and that kind of thing. And I remember we've chatted a little bit about, uh, kind of what the pros and cons of, of that kind of schooling is. Um, you know, I definitely don't want to be one of those, uh, like education haters. I definitely think that there is a time and a place and certain skill sets that, need to be taught in schools. And then also a lot of people like myself included that I do learn better when um, I'm being taught and that, you know, you also kind of had an example of like, you know, you're kind of going through things and like this is getting boring. So you move on. For me, I feel like a lot of my schooling was like just getting through the boring parts, even though I hate it, like that, that sort of thing. And so I feel like there is this balance between where is there a place for education? And I'm seeing more and more, like when it comes to music and, and sound engineering, and I guess particularly like in the digital space, that when you end up going to a school for something like that, for most people, it ends up being a huge, huge loss of money. And you're not really necessarily in a better place. Like you don't, you know, I think a lot of what they like advertise as well is like, you know, you're, you're going to have access to our alumni network and you're going to get like gigs and that kind of thing. But in us, in the music industry, when that's like really saturated, then like, you know what I mean? So, however, you did learn a lot while you were there. And from what I understand, like that really jump started like why you are good at a lot of the things that you're good at. So I'd love to kind of like backtrack maybe talk a little bit about kind of like what you were like as a kid some things that you were interested back then and kind of your journey towards music sure um I would say that I've yeah I think I've always been a music appreciator of course like anyone else it's like saying I like having fun yeah um but <laughs> I I like the craft of making interesting music and I thought that was always really it's it's a great discovery process when you find a new song that really catches your ear mm. um I know anyone can relate to when they just find a thing that's like oh this is really unlike anything else I'm, I gotta bookmark that playlist it or do, do something like that um the the music I guess creation journey yeah it didn't really end up uh going anywhere until I went to the school that I went to for uh, audio stuff because I didn't have a concept of even what software or approaches or techniques would mm -hmm. be used in, for, for such a thing. And if the one piece of credit I can give that experience is that I wouldn't have had at least some foundational framework to understand what editing is mm -hmm. and what pieces of software are and are not industry standard and what techniques people tend to gravitate towards when they do these types of jobs. I know it's nebulous, but it's kind of audio editing is also nebulous because it depends on what you're doing. Um, but I started out in Pro Tools when I was working there when I can hear the groans already in the comments already. But um, I quickly saw the light and switch over to Ableton Live because that was not really my speed. Um, and I don't like paying Avid $500 a year. So, um, But that experience... By and large, if I had just, if I was just able to extract the Ableton Live 
course that was included with that, that would have already been enough for me. And if I could have done it for like a 20th of the cost and just mm -hmm. taken that. But again, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. So for me, I had to go through the process of what I would call screwing up my trajectory. I mean, it's only 20, right? So it's not like, what do you know? But at the same time, I still had to make the wrong decision. Meet some cool people along the way. It's not like I met nobody, but there were a few contacts that I made, some tricks that I picked up, and some good experiences that I had. So fair enough. Like it wasn't a total waste, but I just wish it wasn't expensive as it was. Mm -hmm. And that would be kind of my advice to a lot of people considering this type of thing, whether it be going to like film school, or audio school, whatever it is. <laughs> Chances are that you can probably learn what you want to learn now on YouTube. Mm -hmm. That wasn't necessarily true when right. back in 2010, like early proto YouTube type of stuff. I mean, the information was out there, but there was a lot of wrong stuff too because right. the, the market wasn't so saturated with knowledgeable people. Um, now it's different, right? 12, 12 years later. Um, the content creation landscape is just a completely different place. And what's amazing about people, especially like Alan, for example, who's- Our boy Stranger. Yeah, Shots. Stranger, big up to Stranger, right? His, his ability to communicate information for a lot of people now is, is vital because they're learning how to make music from the ground up mm -hmm. using both the tools that he has for sale, which is how he supports himself, uh, and giving you on top of those tools tons and tons of hours of free content on how to either use those tools specifically or how to just think about music creation as an art and as well as the technical stuff of here is what button you click, here is what specific thing you do. I identify with that really hard because that was what I needed at the outset. What button do I click? What yeah. What does the wrench icon do? I have no idea. Like that bewildering feeling when mm. you first open up Ableton and you had this experience too of this is weird. Like there's a whole lot of buttons and a whole lot of me knowing not what to do here. Yeah. And um, But once I gave you enough of a kind of, just a gentle push into Ableton, you were able to then figure out a lot of the stuff on on your own yeah. and, and also discern what parts you were interested in and what parts you weren't. Like synths and EQs and compressors and whatever else, I know you get that conceptually, but that's not your jam because yeah. what you're using it for is entirely different it's for editing and for like comping and putting stuff together. And, and, and that's great because Ableton doesn't have to be before making music. Right. It's for anything. Yeah. Um, but as far as probably the first, probably the first audio editing I ever did was, I'll be vague because I don't know exactly when, but it was probably in maybe like grade 10 or something like that when I had, it was some sort of software suite that was related to Nero. Um, this is going back pretty far here. <laughs> I haven't but heard that word in forever. Yeah, it was related to Nero, but it was some audio editing tool that was in that software package. And honestly, I don't know too much about it, but it was some program that I had access to, whether it was pirated, could have been, I, I don't know. But um, I managed to figure out in that software how to beat match two pieces of music and filter them and then play them at the same speed as a mashup. Okay. <laughs> in very loose terms, I don't have this file anymore, unfortunately. Okay, that was my first question. But it was two pop songs that I can't quite remember. I think it was like probably JT and uh, nice. maybe DJ Khaled if I had to <laughs> guess. Whenever it's hot at the time, right? Um, I mean, this is the music you listen to when you're what, like 14 or 15 yeah. or something like that. But that was my first ever edit in a million quotation marks that I ever did. And I th and honestly, the experience of doing something so silly like that can be kind of cathartic at the end of it because you, you did a thing. Sure. As silly as it is, you did a thing. It's fun. And you exported a piece of music that you made in reality you didn't do much but i think that kind of at that i don't forget that moment because it was truly the first time where i ever did something sound related on a hmm. computer um that wasn't just me like ripping a cd right or downloading from limewire or something like mm -hmm. i understood the concept <laughs> of how to install video games and how to waste time i was very good at that hmm. um but as far as doing something creative on the computer that was a bit far and few between because i didn't have the the knowledge or the experience to know what software is out there to do that with and ableton existed at the time and like early proto you know, Ableton 5 or something like that, but I wouldn't have known that. Um, and besides, I didn't really care about music production anyway. I just thought that was kind of fun. Um, 
for a long time, I spent uh, time just in Photoshop, becoming a bit of a Photoshop wizard with uh, retouching photographs, understanding like color correction and color balance and framing and whatever else and cleaning up stuff. A lot of kids had a similar experience. They're like, how do I remove dust and speckles from my photograph? And as it turns out, there's a uh, tool called Clone Stamp which now we've all heard of. But as a younger kid, when you find out that you can hold the alt key and sample from a different part of a photograph mm. to then replace that from somewhere else, I still use that trick for the Accelerate album artwork, uh, where when Alan and I took that photo, um, I'm sure we can flash it on the screen or something like that, but that particular photo doesn't look nearly as nice on the unedited version. And so what I ended up doing is that same thing that I learned how to do when I was like 16 or something like that, of clone stamping bits of the image and airbrushing it right. by by hand uh, instead of you know using a paintbrush how or however people do it now with compositing but I did it old school like 2005 style of just grab a piece resample it oh there's a bit that isn't quite off here resample it clone stamp it out so I did in fact keep using that scale well into my adult life and I guess a lot of the things that I do are kind of extensions of that same sort of goofing around turned into something quasi-professional arguably retouching a photograph for an album art's not like that well and intense, just to, for, for you folks uh, accelerate is tears debut full-length album you had a bunch of eps before that but um that was a huge huge masterpiece craft master craft piece <laughs> that came out last Shout year out yes <laughs> um on a stranger's label deviant audio and uh yeah yeah huge huge album and uh you're right it's pretty iconic um album artwork and yeah yeah you're right the photography thing i remember um I guess I've also seen like photos that you took when you were like, what, like seven or eight years old that like your grandparents hung up. Oh, right. So for, for context, it was basically, uh, they'd set, they let me loose on one of their early Kodak digital cameras that they had bought at the time. I think it was a whopping four megapixels. All those pixels. <laughs> what, in, what a world of opportunity you have. Um, but the, as a kid, you don't really have a crap, right? It's just, uh, it's a thing. It can take pictures and you can do silly things with it. And uh, yeah, I guess that was probably arguably my earliest experience with photography was actually, well, before that, correction, um, they had bought, excuse me, they had bought a, I want to say Sony branded camcorder that used high eight tape. Okay. Um, which is just a really old format for recording stuff. But that was, I think that's my earliest one. I, I just remember being so fascinated with the fact that you could zoom in 200 times <laughs> on that on stuff. Imagine you, you being like a little kid and just like having fun with the zoom. Literally just like not recording a single thing, just zooming oh, okay. in and zooming out. And like, look, look at how crazy this thing is, right? And it had probably a whole 45 minutes of battery life on it. But I didn't care because it's just like a, a shiny thing that you just mess around with. And it did teach me I think a little bit about how cameras work and the language that they speak and so far as what menu setting what ISO does and like what frame rate does and it, you kind of get it but like you don't really know what you're looking for so it's just like oh I'll just pick this setting and hope that it works out you just goof around with it but I guess that's probably the earliest experience I had was with old camcorders and I recently came across uh, a channel called uh, what cathode ray dude who talks at very great length about these camcorders for an hour. He goes to Goodwill and collects them. Awesome. I just think that that's hilarious. I love that. And so he just has all these Sony and various like JVC camcorders and he'll show you how these stupid things work with their really weird menu systems and stuff like that. And it's just using the modern conveniences of cameras. You think like, mm -hmm. oh my God, that wouldn't have made sense to anybody. Never mind someone who like knows about cameras and like understands this kind of thing. And yeah, I, I love looking back on that stuff now of it is no mystery why your parents or people your parents age would have had such an incredibly difficult time mm. with that type of technology because it just didn't make any sense. Like it, it barely makes sense now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I just liked picking up things that were shiny and loud and seeing what they did and yeah you know a lot of people have that experience right the first time you get your first casio keyboard you're making all sorts of sounds on that and seeing what that can do and i, I know you enjoyed having your i think yours is casio branded uh, or something like that it's a it's, yamaha but yeah. you, no you're absolutely right that was like literally one of my very first memories as a kid is just like 
yeah, like keyboards and like, oh my goodness, they make these cool sounds and yeah. I can change to different synth. And then if I press this, it'll like play a song. And then so I'll, while it's playing a song, I'll like make up a dance and like think things you do <laughs> well, as kids. Well, there's pictures like, of you making the, yeah. like, your dance. Yeah, yeah. That's Just, so fun. Uh, entertainment post dinner for my family, like required entertainment. Like I would go put on an outfit and like make them like. It was a whole production. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. yeah. This is a. You've been doing shows your whole life. Really. Exactly. Exactly. But it's just it's interesting, too, that like you as a child have like. I think for all of a lot of us, like it's that kind of like fascination with whatever it is you're fascinated with as a kid. And then as you get older, I guess, like I think most of us lose that kind of like the thing of like just playing or just exploring. And I, I've definitely would you, would had you to because uh, it seems like people do kind of have these creative streaks in them, but maybe it gets redirected. But I would say that because I feel like, and this is sort of speaking to what we talked about earlier as well, which is I feel like I suppressed so much of that and so much of my life was like, you know, told from society and some family pressures as well that like being an artist or being a musician isn't like a thing to do. Oh, sorry. We're in cottage country and there's some like nature distractions, which are not usual like in the... (laughs) Um, but yeah, I just, I, I definitely was very sensitive to the, um, you know, being a musician, being a creative person, this is just a hobby. You need to focus on like, what are you going to be good at in school? Like what's your going to be your education, your career. And so I feel like so much of my life was just like suppressing the creative urge. And then even when I did, and I mean, it is still a hobby. Like I'm not like, you know, full-time professional making money for music or anything like that. But um, even when I, you know, over the last 10 years have been creative, like, and we've talked about this before, too, where sometimes I take it too seriously, where I'm, like, spending, like, 60 hours on, like, one melody line and, like, banging my head against the wall and, like, forgetting to have fun and to kind of go with the flow and explore. And then as soon as I let go and, like, kind of go into that mode, then things start to happen. And so it's almost like I'm applying that kind of very rigid or the rigidity to, like, you know, something that is kind of the opposite. And that's kind of the creativity is, yeah, being imaginative and and creating something new and, and, yeah. Well, yeah, again, and it probably is the case that maybe – the adult mindset isn't by default compatible with that Hmm. because I think you're more used to routine and Hmm. you want to do the things that you're efficient Hmm. at and your brain isn't really wired in this way anyway. You would prefer to get things done quickly even if you're doing it the wrong way and it overall takes more time to do it this way. You would rather just do it in the way that you're familiar with doing it. And and that's such a classic problem of people, right? Like, let me show you this new technique. No, I'd rather just keep doing it this way. It's like, no, like this will save you time. If you just want to spend 20 minutes doing it, no, it's too complicated. And what it's, I try to never be that guy that says, no, that's too complicated. I don't want to learn about it. Or if, if I do say that there's generally a reason because I'm already entrenched in some other thing and I just can't, but, um, I guess what you're pointing at is just that, that, inflexibility that can set in as you become more experienced at just being a person Mm. where you feel like you have it all figured out and then you know you don't want something to mess up that balance for you too much lest you feel too human you know like oh i really don't know very much Mm -hmm. and I, i really just the breadth of what i know is just about enough to get by my little niche that i've carved out for myself but then if i step outside of that bound <laughs> it all falls apart again you feel like a kid again of oh i'm all i'm totally outside of my zone i have no idea what's going on everything is so bright and new and i have no idea um and i just remember because i um just just i guess more succinctly answer your question before about like what started that musical journey mm. i forgot a, a piece so nero yes like when i did that edit before but I can say for a fact that what got me interested in music, and it, sorry, it just, it's just been uh, 24 years since I had this thing in my life, but uh, one of my dad's friends named Adrian, uh, who's a wicked bass player, by the way. Uh, we've, we hung up with him in Nova Scotia a couple of years ago, Adrian mm-hmm. Mo Show. Uh, he bought me a Casio SK-1. And anyone it's a who's yeah, it's a keyboard. Uh, and anyone who's a synth nerd will know what an SK, uh, SK1 is. It's basically a, a keyboard with, I believe, eight e pre, uh, preset sounds, like an organ, a piano, blah blah. But 
it had something that no other keyboard at that time had, sampling. Oh, wow. So what you could do, and this is a keyboard from the mid 80s, mind you. It had 1.4 seconds of very low quality sampling. And of course, what do you figure a very little kid <laughs> fart set whatever sounds you can imagine were sampled and played back uh, on that keyboard. And wow. it had this little electret crap, crap microphone on there, but it didn't matter because you could just yell into it. You could play some other sound into it and it would make a sound to let you know when it's done sampling. And that would get mapped across the keyboard. Oh my and gosh. Played at whatever pitch you wanted. The keyboard could play four different voices at once. So in other words, you could play four different keys before it would just snap to another key if you played mm -hmm. a fifth one. Um, all sorts of fun was had sampling stuff and playing that back oh, at different I can only pitches imagine. and tempo. And as a kid, you just you find whatever silly thing you can find and then do that. Um, but I only realized it after the fact. I'm like, no, I knew, I know, I felt like I'm missing something to this answer here. And sure enough, I have to give Adrian credit for that, for buying me an SK1, which in 1996, this is what I would have gotten that. That would have been a pretty expensive gift to get. Like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a $20 thing you get at Walmart. I think they were probably selling for maybe 150 bucks or something like that. Um, yeah, getting my first keyboard really kind of set that emotion for me. Now, I never really learned to play like you play or I know other musicians do, but I think the idea of taking sound and manipulating it and turning it mm -hmm. into something else in your own creation, because you could play the sounds really, really pitched down using the octave keys or just going lower on the keyboard. So you might be able to take, you know, sped up audio and then play it back at its normal speed for longer than what normally the sampling would allow for if you're okay to take the hit on right. quality um, or vice versa. Uh, play a slow down uh, sound at a much higher quality if you're okay to take the hit on the amount of sampling time that you can okay. do. But I think that that kind of got my head working in the right way to think about what is sampling and what is mm. key and what is pitch. And it was through using that keyboard that I even came to discover that I had what people call perfect pitch, which is that I could always remember That's right. the key of every song that I heard, um, which I didn't think was anything unusual. I still don't. Like, it's kind of still hard for me to conceptualize. Oh, it's so bizarre for, for you guys listening. Like, he's so... Sometimes I'll just, like, hum out loud, like, whatever song is in my head, and he'll be like, you're doing it in the wrong key. I'm like, how do you even know? You're like, we haven't even listened to this song. And, like <laughs> and, so, and so let me ask you this, like, lo logically speaking, here's why I don't think it's, it's such an, or why I don't understand why that's a rare uh, thing. You can remember what color something was, right? You know what color your car is, mm -hmm. you know what color the grass is, mm -hmm. and you understand how things are made up and how they look. The the key of something, the pitch of something is like an immutable quality to the, the music itself. Like middle C sounds like middle C. It doesn't sound like anything else. And that's why it's hard for me to, to grasp. But like you can understand that your shirt is black in the same way that I can understand, you know, a bunch of your tracks are in F minor. It's just how that sounds to me is the same way when you think about an object that you have in your mind, you can remember its shape and what its shades are and all the different details it might have to varying degrees of memory, of course, but that's how I think about sound is, is the, the, the pitch of it is much like any other detail of how fast it is, who sang in it and whatever else. But it's, uh, it, I only learned much, much later in my life that that is not something people can remember and that you can't be taught how to remember it. Right. Kind of like if you ask someone to grow a third finger, if it's been cut off or something like that, it's just not going to happen. And it's very strange to me I, that I feel like that's kind of a, a flaw in evolution that people can't remember that. That's interesting that you uh, compare it to color because it makes me think then, I guess maybe you're like, when you're hearing sound, you're like, you're really hearing like the frequency because with, with color, like I get, and this is going to show like how vaguely I understand science, but like we see different colors because they're, the light is at different wavelengths. Is that the correct? Okay. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> to, be more, to be more specific, yeah, it's whatever wavelength of light was not absorbed by that is whatever makes it back into your eyes. Okay. So, so yeah. but uh, minor detail, but something just to, to do with frequencies. Yeah, yeah. So, so then when you're hearing sound, I guess you're just really like hearing the difference in the frequencies. I guess, or like you're remembering the actual because just like comparing it to the color analogy right like I yes I remember colors but like I guess 
I'll remember how a song sounds and like the melody of it, but because you can sing that melody in different keys, higher, lower, I guess my mind just gravitates towards whichever key I can sing it in. And I'll, and I'll right. sing the same melody, but it'll be like likely in a different key because I don't remember what the original key was. And that's really th- strange for me to think about. Well, because how would you know how far the notes are apart if you don't know where the notes started? So that that's an interesting thing because it was the only way I was able to do uh, back when I was doing uh, like classical piano exams with the conservatory and that kind of thing. Part of your exam every year is what they call uh, like sight reading as well as... Um, the, I can't remember, like hearing exercises or something to that effect. And so there's a whole different, a bunch of different things that the uh, adjudicator would do. And one of them was they would play an interval. Um, and and so an interval is like the space between uh, two notes and there's different. Or more. Uh, or more yeah. in different spacings. And so you'd have to say like, okay, this is a perfect fifth. This is a, uh, you know, a major third. And I would not be able to tell you what notes those are. And that's what you could do with perfect pitch. I couldn't tell you what those notes are, but if I I could hear the um, this interval between the two notes by relating it to a popular song. And this isn't something I came up with. Like, my piano teacher taught me this. But, like, uh, for example, uh, I think Perfect Fourth is Oh Christmas Tree. Like, Oh Christmas Tree. Right. I think that's Perfect Fourth. So then if I heard that, like, familiar, like, melody, like, that's how I knew it was a Perfect Fourth. But I couldn't, like... This is the only way. Hmm. Um, or like perfect fifth, I could hear like the third in between it, but I couldn't tell you like what key was it was in or anything like that. I can just sort of hear the spacing mm-hmm. in between. That, that's just such a nebulous, nebulous and unusual way to think about music where uh, y- for some reason you can remember how far the notes are from each other, but not the origin point. Mm-hmm. That's really strange. It's all relative, the relativity between the notes, man. Well, yeah, I mean, like I get it insofar as like you can sort of sing to yourself all the individual notes of a minor chord in whatever key. But yeah, I guess it it never, I never put two and two together that it wasn't clear that if some, you know, minor chord was coming from the key of F or E or A or, or whatever it is, I just sort of figured that that's just something everyone could remember because because people could clearly sing songs in transposed keys so it's like why would they not know then where the key was the whole time in the same way you could remember what color the door was in your house hmm. um but it, I, I, I don't know i guess that it's just like a weird curse or a gift or whatever you want to no, call no, it you're but. one of those like uh genetic like super superhumans, and um i, I guess talk- mute mute mutant, <laughs> mutant. <laughs> Um, I can talk to you for a very long time. We have a lot more to get through for sure. I definitely want to have you on more often. Uh, I know we've talked about some other possible special formats down the road, so you guys might not be hearing slash seeing Tear for the last time. Um, But just to to wrap things up here, because I do have to pee a little bit, so I, I apologize if I'm rushing that. I'm frequent urination is going to officially go into my bio. Um, we, we need a uh, charity to end frequent <laughs> urination. This is a real problem. Yes. Um, I want to ask you, um, you know, if there's something that if you could tell yourself as a kid or perhaps even, you know, the kids of today, music or not music related, if there was one piece of advice you could give to the youths, what would it be? Hmm. I don't know if it'd be one because there's so much good stuff that you should know. Um, I would say number one would be, uh, yeah, I'll try to keep it to maybe two-ish answers because there's so many important things that I wish I knew earlier. But number one is that um, try not to stress too much about the future if you can at all help it because Mm -hmm. it's going to happen anyway and whether you like it or not. So... You just have to be more adaptable than you are preventative, if you can sometimes. Now, pound a cure, ounce of prevention, we all know the classic saying, but you should worry about your future maybe half as much if you're really, really stressed out about how everything is going to perfectly fall into place. Because even if you have this plan from top to bottom that you think is going to be adhered to and followed through step by step, I promise you that something is going to get in the way of that and Mm. that's going to have to force you to change your plans mid-plan 
instead of coming into it from the mindset of all of this is going to get completely buggered up, I may as well just have a concept of what I want to do and then start with that. And then that's always how I've taken on projects, if that I know roughly what I want to do, but then the execution of it, I kind of just have to make up as I go. So that'd be advice number one is that do plan for the future, but try not to take it so personally when mm. every single little thing doesn't quite go mm. your way because it's never going to go your way. So you just have to kind of, you know, be willing to move around like a boxer does whenever the punches are coming in because that's all you can do sometimes. Uh, number two is start investing mm. like now, especially if you're someone who's made 15, 16, you have your first job or mowing lawns or at a grocery store, that kind of thing. Go get yourself an investment account on your investment platform of choice. I'm not going to recommend anything in particular. You and I use a particular service, but that does not mean it's the best one. And it might not even be available where you live. But start investing in uh, either self-directed if you're really interested, but more often than not, you're going to want to have like ETFs and just general like amalgamated investments that include hundreds of hundreds of stocks depending on what you're invested in but there are a lot of services and i'll name a couple just to kind of direct people what i'm talking about mm. like wealth simple quest trade mm -hmm. those types of things there's a lot of applications now very reputable that will require a lot of information from you to make sure that you're not you know any anyone suspicious but once you give them your information they can automatically invest uh, for you, if you literally just e-transfer the money out of your account, it lands in that account 72 hours later, and it's automatically divvied up into some sort of investment. I wish I started doing that sooner. Mm. I was so silly to not do that, but no one ever even alluded to that that was something that you should be doing right mm. early on. And even if it's the case that you're only starting with whatever, $50 a month, like nothing amounts of money, right? Because maybe you load one lawn. I, I have no idea, but... Take some percentage of that money. Please invest it. You will be so much better off in the times of, I wish I had $2,000 right now. Mm -hmm. Well, luckily for you, when you were 15 or 16, now you're 21, you've been putting that money into an investment account where it, not only because you were putting money in there, it, there was more money, but the investment itself has matured a little bit. And then the valuation of that has also increased. That will help you immensely. Mm -hmm. And that amazing thing of, uh, what is it compounding gains mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter in the year or the two years, but in the five or the 10 years, yeah. you'll be so thankful you did that. So that'd be my advice. Number two is please invest. You will be so thankful in five to 10 years from now when you really could use that money or not. But in 20 or 30 years, whatever yeah. your plan is, you will be way better off. I wish I started sooner. Yeah. To answer your question. That's a, that's a great answer. I think, especially coming off of a, like a year and a half of like pandemic stuff. Like I'm sure every single person would have uh, <laughs> been grateful for like a rainy day fund and, you know, or if you're trying to, you know, buy your first property or like whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Take that's care really of yourself. That's really good advice. You know? It's the first time I've got to that kind of advice on this podcast. So thank you for that. Um, I don't want to just give the same advice you can Google. Well. You know, th things that... Uh, it's stuff that has impacted my life so vastly that I feel an obligation to tell other people, even if two of you out there listening to this go and do that, that's two people that I hopefully have helped 10 years from now or something like that. Because, um, yeah, I don't know. Life's short. Don't keep all your good secrets to yourself. Let other people know Aww. if you can. Kind of thing. I love it. But that's, that's why I like the concept of, of this show, other much more talented people than me can come on here and really share their insights and their expertise and their passion for the craft and the things that they like to do. So I, I think you're doing a good thing by lending. Fairy? Uh, I think that's a fairy horn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's try that again. Just lending a voice to well-educated and experienced people is always a good idea of because you even if 99% of that conversation feels like rehash to you there might be a little nugget in there that kind of puts you off in some different direction but you just needed to be introduced to that idea first of like oh I didn't think about that or I didn't realize that this is a thing or that this could be so simple or something like that which is why I love listening to podcasts that are of high quality yours is a great show um, so I should feel, feel like you should feel good about the work that you're doing here because I think it's worthwhile.
Well, thank you so much for that. That means a lot to me. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for all your involvement in the show and, you know, with my vocals, with helping to produce a lot of the music that I've made. Um, and uh, I just, uh, for those of you folks listening, I'm going to put Tears' social media links and things in the description. Um, he's got a, a lot of amazing music, amazing tutorials. Um, he's going to have a lot more interesting educational content and tools available uh, for you coming up. We also have a uh, our recent single together, Sending Signals, the focus of a remix competition. I think by the time this comes out, we'll have been wrapping up our remix competition. So you'll definitely be hearing and seeing a lot more from us um thank you so much for being here hope you're doing okay tier thank you for being here thank you spreading the love and the knowledge go invest go be creative go have fun try not to stress yourself yes. out of making <laughs> a potentially good decision as well yeah just try it out you know you never know what'll happen you it's up to you to know when that time is to, to do something but you know don't don't hold yourself back don't hold yourself back, folks. And with that, I will not hold myself back from peeing. <laughs> All right, but th thanks a lot for tuning in, guys. We'll, thanks for uh, tuning in. Um, take care and uh, lots of love. Bye from Cottage Country. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>